Good morning, church. My name is Agnes. I'm one of the staff here. I'm here to read the Bible for us this morning. The Bible passage is from Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 49. If you don't have a Bible, please uh, grab one of the Bibles at the back. Uh, They are a gift to you. Luke chapter 24, verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the leaven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, why are you troubled and why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still do not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. 
but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Thanks, Agnes. Uh, keep your Bibles open as we go through God's Word together. But before we start, let's, let's pray. Abba, Father, we come to you in prayer as a church congregation this morning, acknowledging that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. There is no name above your name. Father, we know that if the Holy Spirit isn't at work this morning, then there is no point of me being up here speaking. For it is by your spirit that we understand the Bible. Father, it is our desire to know you more deeply, become more like Jesus, and to share the good news of the cross to the entire world. So please send your spirit to us, to help us, right here, right now, to focus, to hear, and to then respond to what you have to say to us. Father, the veil has been torn, so we pray this in the name of our Lord, our Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen. Every now and then, a major uh, invention or something comes along uh, which changes the course of history. Uh, whether it's an invention or a moment in history, uh, it's one of those things that change the way that we go about our life. Take cars, for example. In 1885, Carl Benz, a German mechanical engineer, designed and built the world's first practical automobile. Now, this invention was the start of a change in the way that we, uh, that we traveled. And as time uh, went along and as uh, things evolved, uh, the car evolved. And nowadays, we have much more fancy whiz-bang cars with plenty of safety features and electronics. And, uh, and, I, and I imagine that everyone that's sitting here today arrived here by car. An invention from Europe from 140 years ago has structured the way that we arrive to church this morning. Uh, but it's not always an invention. Sometimes it's a moment in history. Uh, sometimes it's an event. Uh, this passage that was read to us this morning uh, is about an event that changed the course of history. You know, this event happened uh, 14,000 kilometers away and over 2,000 years ago. And you are seated here today uh, in a church on a Sunday morning in Western Sydney because of the events of this day. The events of this passage are a defining moment of the Christian faith and, all of its, and for all of its followers because it changes the way that we ought to live. Uh, Luke, the author of this book, he chooses, he, he chooses to close off this book by including uh, this story that was read to us. Uh, now, Luke, he's a doctor and being a doctor and processing info the way that a doctor would... Um, he writes this book by cancelling out any nonsense and documenting what is relevant. He says so in the very first chapter uh, of Luke. He says, I myself carefully investigated everything from the beginning. He carefully investigates. And after investigating, what does he do? It says, I too decided to write an orderly account for you. And he tells us why he writes this account. So that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. In the way that a doctor gives a final assessment, Luke writes this book so that we can be certain of the things regarding Jesus. And I praise God for Luke. As Luke ends his book, we have the events of Good Friday, uh, where Jesus goes through the physical torture and the mental anguish 
uh, at the hand of the Romans who uh, crucify him on a cross. Uh, But the story doesn't end there because uh, then comes Easter Sunday uh, where we see that Jesus doesn't stay dead. He rises from the dead and we see that he's victorious uh, over death. But the story doesn't end there either because Luke sees it as necessary to include this interaction that we read about, an interaction that directly uh, impacts the way that I should live and the way that you should live. You know, what big moments have changed the way that you live? Maybe parenthood. Uh, I know um, I've become a parent in the last uh, six months. It's such a great joy, but parenthood also, it changes the way that you live. Uh, Because you've got to love and care for a new human being uh, that's in your care and that's new in this world. You know, shout out to the parents at the back, the uh, the pram pushers, uh, but also the other parents in the congregation. Uh, But maybe it's migration, you know. Migrating from another country changes the way that you live as you adapt to a new culture and as you adapt to new social norms. The mission of God is, uh, is the same. It must change the way that you live because it's part of your very purpose on earth. So let's explore this together and investigate why this passage is so important to our faith. And to do so, in true Tungabi Baptist Church style, we'll be uh, going through three points, uh, starting with the confusion of the disciples, uh, then we'll look at the realisation of the disciples, And then we'll look at God's mission for His disciples. Uh, But first, the confusion of the disciples. So this passage, it starts off with a conversation. And in this conversation, we see that Jesus fulfills all Scripture that concerns the Messiah. So this is where we're at. So uh, we know that there's uh, the main group of disciples. But outside of that main group, there's other disciples who follow Jesus. And two of them are walking from Jerusalem to a village that's called Emmaus. These uh, two disciples have been visiting Jerusalem at the same time that the Passover festival is happening, uh, which is most likely the reason that they were there in the first place. And now they're going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles away where they probably would have lived. One of them is named uh, Cleopas, and we're not told uh, the name of the other disciple. So, these two disciples are walking along and they're talking and discussing and ultimately trying to dissect what's happened over the last couple of days. Because while they were in Jerusalem for the Passover festival, the events of Good Friday happened and the Jesus that they followed is now dead. And these disciples have their faces downcast because everything that has just happened, it it hasn't fully clicked into place for them. It hasn't fully clicked into place in their heart and in their mind. And that's where the confusion comes in. You know, I can very uh, quickly put up my hand and tell you that I've had moments in my faith um, where I felt confused. You know, sometimes even felt, uh, felt abandoned by God. And I'm sure you would have uh, too at some point. You know, and that's how these disciples would have felt. The confusion exists because these two disciples, they don't know that Jesus has resurrected from the dead. We as readers know that Jesus has resurrected, uh, but the disciples, they don't know that just yet. And they're devastated. They're probably thinking, you know, 
how can this be? Because the man who they had their hope and faith in and is at the center point of their faith is dead. You know, they were expecting a King David-like military uh, leader that was going to set them free from the bondage of the Romans. But now they're thinking, how is military dominance possible with a dead leader? They may even be thinking, you know, were we wrong about this man? Is he even the Messiah? They're in a state of confusion. This is a serious moment of doubt for the disciples. And let's be real, we've all been there, you know, with our own confusions, our own doubts about God. Uh, maybe we've had, a, had uh, questions like, you know, how can, how can God send people to hell? Or is the Bible, you know, really reliable? Or maybe you've wrestled with other religions and, or belief systems and you've had the question of, you know, can other religions also be true? You know, these are common questions that people wrestle with. And as a church, you know, we don't want to shy away from these questions. We want to, we want to tackle them head on and, and that's exactly what we're going to be doing. You know, starting from April 30 for three weeks, um, we're going to be looking at these exact questions. So I want to encourage you, when, you know, when you're feeling confused, unsure or in a season of doubt, you're on the same boat as, you know, other people in their faith as well, you know, keep coming to church. Keep unpacking um, any confusion and doubt that you might have. While these disciples are talking and processing everything, uh, in verse 15, straight out of the tomb from earlier that day, uh, the resurrected Jesus, you know, walks along uh, with them and enters the conversation. And the funny thing happens, these disciples, they don't recognize him. You know, and that seems a bit strange. You know, how can you not recognize Jesus if he's right there walking alongside with you and conversing with you. Here are some things to take note of. These disciples, they didn't expect to see Jesus. As far as they know, Jesus is dead and that's final. They're not expecting uh, Jesus to resurrect from the dead. And also, do you remember the physical state that the Romans left Jesus in? The Romans, they, they weren't to be messed with. They were brutal. Isaiah 52, Isaiah 52 verse 14 tells us that Jesus' appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any other human. And the Jesus that appears to these disciples, he's, he's not disfigured. Um, he's in a new body, one that they weren't expecting. And, you know, we too have moments where Jesus is right in front of us, but we just don't see him. You know, we can't see Jesus unless God allows us to see Jesus. And that's what's happening here. In verse 16, but they were kept from recognizing him. God kept them from recognizing him. You know, but why on earth would God do that? You know, well, there's always a reason why God does what he does. And for these disciples, he is going to re re reveal himself to them but he's withholding their ability uh, to recognize him just temporarily and just while they wrestle with a little bit of truth. And I think one reason that uh, God does this is that um, he wants the disciples to just be straight up and honest. You know, if these disciples knew that Jesus 
um, that this was Jesus, they would have been much more prim and proper in their conversations. And God, He's not interested in prim and proper. He's interested in what's really going on in your heart. Jesus asked them, what are you two talking about as you're walking? You know, they've got the look of depression on their faces. And in verse 18, Cleopas replies and even takes a half dig at Jesus by saying, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know about the things that have happened there in the last few days? I guarantee if, if God allowed them to recognize Jesus, Cleopas definitely wouldn't have uh, replied uh, to Jesus like that. It's also ironic because Jesus was the focus point of the last few days in Jerusalem. But Jesus simply replies uh, in verse 19 and he says, what things? And then the disciples spill out what's going on in their heart. From verse 19 down to verse 24. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in deed, uh, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But he, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this has taken place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. The disciples at this point are shattered. You know, their language shows that they see Jesus as a thing of the past. And the hope that they once had has been crumbled. You know, look and look where Jesus takes the disciples in the midst of their doubt and confusion. From verses 25 to 27, he said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. You know, I really wonder how this part of the conversation would have gone. You know, I wonder what verses Jesus would have referenced. You know, maybe from the prophet Micah, written about 650 years before Jesus was even born. Possibly referencing uh, Micah 5, uh, verse 2, which says that the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. He surely would have referenced, uh, you know, the book of Isaiah, which was written 700 years before Jesus was born. Um, possibly referencing Isaiah 53, verse 5, which says, The Messiah will be pierced for our sins and that by his wounds we are, we are healed. Maybe the suffering saviour of Psalm 22, uh, the good shepherd of Psalm 23. Take your pick. You know, there's a long list that goes on and on regarding Old Testament scripture that's fulfilled very specifically in Jesus. Why? Because Jesus is God, that's why. The Bible is the story of God, it's the story of Jesus. And that's what Jesus is doing here with the disciples, explaining how scripture points 
to Jesus. You know, one pastor and commentator puts it like this, the Bible functions a bit like a complex mystery novel. In those books, the first part of the book is full of clues, some obvious, some not. Then toward the end, the mystery is solved. The clues come together in a way that you would never manage to predict. And once they do come together, it's all obvious. You suddenly realise the point of the seemingly random events that came before. So you can't understand the beginning. You can't understand the end without the beginning. But you can't confidently understand the beginning without the end. You know, there may be people sitting here uh, who see Jesus or are starting to see Jesus as a thing of the past. Just like how these two disciples were thinking. As the pressures of life hit, uh, whether it's the responsibilities of parenting, uh, whether it's a family situation, maybe it's a situation of abuse, maybe it's your work life or a health situation, you too once believed. Maybe you were once active at church, but now as you reflect on your life, it shows that you've moved away from Jesus or you're in the process of moving away from Jesus. You know, maybe even coming here to Toongabi Baptist Church has felt like something that you just need to tick off for the week. And if that's you, I want to, I want to encourage you with something. I want to show you something that I think is really cool in, in verse 28 and 29. I'm not sure if you noticed, but there's a shift in the emotional state of these two disciples. Let's read verses 28 and 29. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he was going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. As they approached the village to where, um, sorry, once Jesus explains scripture and the truth of God starts unraveling, these two disciples, they don't want Jesus to leave. They want to talk more. You know, that's the power of scripture. That's the power of knowing Jesus. You know, they get to their destination and Jesus is walking off uh, as if he's about to go on, but the disciples, they don't, let, they don't want him to leave. They urge him strongly to stay and Jesus stays. You know, once scripture starts making uh, sense and you see that Jesus is God, you just, you can't let go. You know, it's It's impossible. These two disciples went from being depressed to having Scripture explained to them and understanding that Jesus is God, and now they don't want Jesus to leave. Remember, they were expecting Jesus to be a military leader of some sort. They were expecting, you know, that Jesus was going to establish His kingdom on earth. But their new understanding of Scripture has led them towards something better. They've realized that God's kingdom is eternal. The kingdom, this kingdom has power over death. This is a heavenly, eternal kingdom. In this moment, you know, they don't even know that the person that they're speaking to uh, is Jesus. You know, their belief has come from faith, not by sight. You know, a faith that Jesus fulfills all of Scripture concerning the Messiah. You know, this is now where the realisation of the disciples is starting to kick in. 
You know, the realization that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, for he is risen and he has conquered death. Jesus, you know, he continues on uh, with the two disciples to the village of Emmaus. He enters the place that they were staying. uh, And when they sit at the table, Jesus breaks bread, gives thanks, uh, breaks it and gives it to them. And it's at this point that the eyes of the two disciples are opened and they now have the ability to recognize that the person that they were talking to, the person that they were walking with, the person that they've invited into into their home is in fact Jesus the Messiah himself. Their faith is now sight. And the reality sets in of um, who they're in the presence of. It's Jesus. And then Jesus disappears. Jesus, remember, he's in his resurrected body, uh, which is different to the bodies that you and I have. Uh, this body uh, that he has now, it's got the ability to appear and to disappear. That's, that's pretty cool. I wish my body can appear and disappear. Not yet. I uh, hope I, you know, that that's part of the reality that I have in heaven. Um, not sure, but I think I'm hoping for that. Uh, so Jesus, he disappears leaving the two disciples on their own. They're gobsmacked as they reflect on their earlier conversation and uh, as they remind each other about how their hearts were burning when Jesus was quoting Scripture and explaining it to them. And what was their response? Straight away, they, they, they got up and they went back to Jerusalem so that they can find the rest of the crew and tell them. When they left Jerusalem to go to Emmaus, they were confused and depressed. And I use the word depressed because depressed, it taps into your state of existence. But now, as they leave Emmaus and go back to Jerusalem, it's the opposite. They're invigorated. They're joyous. They might not even be walking this time. You know, the passage doesn't say, but they could be running to Jerusalem. Regardless, They get to Jerusalem, they locate the whereabouts of the 11 disciples and and the others that were with the 11 disciples. They burst through the door and they tell them, it is true, Jesus has risen from the dead. And in verse 35, these two disciples, they just verbal vomit everything that they've just witnessed and experienced over the last few hours. Then, while they're in the middle of spurting out all this information, Jesus appears and says, peace be with you. Or as the Jews would say, shalom. You know, shalom is a typical greeting that the Jews um, used. It implied wholeness, harmony, prosperity. It's kind of like saying um, the peace of how it's supposed to be back in the Garden of Eden. Those in the room, though, they're not feeling peace. They're feeling startled and frightened. They thought that Jesus was some kind of ghost and Jesus addresses it by, by asking them why they're troubled and why they have doubts on their mind. You know, and then he shows them proof by showing his hands and his feet. It is indeed Jesus, a physical Jesus that you can touch with flesh and with bones. But the disciples there, they're just consumed with joy and amazement, and they were slow to believe until Jesus gives them an extra bit of of evidence by showing them that he was able to eat. He wasn't a ghost. 
He wasn't a figment of their imagination. He was and is, in fact, the risen Lord Jesus, the risen Lord that has conquered death. He is the Messiah. You know, you ever have one of those moments where the reality of a truth uh, sets in, leaving you with utter joy and amazement? I remember as a child, I wasn't allowed to have a dog. Um, I love dogs. And the reason I wasn't allowed to have, the, have a dog was because my parents were too smart. You know, they knew that having a dog, um, I wouldn't end up being the one training the dog or picking up the dog poo uh, or feeding the dog uh, or taking it on walks. Uh, but every chance I got, I still asked them. Uh, every year, uh, if I was asked what I want for my uh, birthday, I would tell them, I want a dog. I even tried to guilt trip them. I showed them uh, pictures of dogs from the pound. And um, I told them, you know, we need to get this dog or, you know, they're going to put, put this dog down. You know, whatever I tried, nothing worked. And we never got a dog. Side note, I think dogs are a beautiful part of God's creation. I think the companionship of a dog is a wonderful reflection of God's kindness to humanity. And I praise God for dogs. So anyway, as a child, I told myself, when I move into my own place, one day, the first thing I'm going to get is a dog. And that's exactly what I did. On the screen, I remember picking up my first dog. We named him Thumby, and, um, which... Uh, if you're Tamil, uh, Tamil is my native language. Thumbi means a little brother. Uh, my actual little brother was a little bit offended by that, but that's all right. Uh, Thumbi actually turns three today. Um, so happy birthday to you, my little boy. Uh, I still remember driving him back home. And when he was just six, uh, sorry, seven weeks old, uh, the joy uh, and excitement that ran through my body uh, I, I was in the car looking over at him and he had his cute little puppy snores with his tongue uh, blepping out and um, I was completely joyous and the reality started to settle in that I am now finally, after years upon years upon years of waiting and wanting a dog, I'm finally a dog owner. The reality of Jesus for these disciples is starting to kick in. The reality that Jesus is the Messiah. They're realizing it is true. Now, what about you? You know, how did you go during this Easter period? You know, were you invigorated and left with joy and amazement as you heard the good news of the cross? You know, did the reminder of the physical torture and the mental anguish of Jesus and the sacrifice that had to be paid for your sins leave you in tears of thankfulness? Or have you heard the message of the cross that many times that over that many Easter periods that it just doesn't fill your heart up with joy, but instead it kind of just feels like repetition? It was Easter this year making sure that the kids uh, had their fix of hot cross buns, uh, chocolate and organising festivities, or... Were you energized and refreshed as you heard about God's redemption story? I'll even ask, since last week, have you shared this good news with others? Because this is true. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus has risen. Jesus has conquered death. And we must tell everyone about the truth of God. 
This is God's mission for His people. Our last point. In verse uh, 44, in the midst of the joy and amazement of the disciples, Jesus focuses their attention back again to Scripture. He's asking them, do you get it now? He was always going to rise from the dead. That was part of God's plan. And now the disciples see that it's true. And in verse 45 and 46, Jesus opens their minds so that they could understand Scripture and make sense of the resurrection. Then in verse 47, he tells them what's going to happen next. Here's what's going to happen next. The preaching of repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations. That is what's going to happen next. From John the Baptist to Jesus, to these disciples, to the Apostle Paul, they all preach the same thing. Repentance for the forgiveness of sin. And we must do the same. Uh, As you heard earlier, for the last seven years, uh, I've worked in a correctional centre for juveniles, uh, juvenile males, uh, between the ages of 15 and 21. And when I tell people where I work, they're quick to tell me how great it is that there's uh, Christians in there. Uh, Because they know that these boys, they need to hear about Jesus. And yes, absolutely. You know, these guys are locked up on all sorts of crimes. You know, from aggravated assault, armed robberies, uh, sexual assault, terrorism, attempted murder, murder. You name it. Some of of the details of, of the crimes that they've committed are absolutely horrific. So when people say these boys need Jesus... They're absolutely right. But it wasn't until I got this response a couple of times that I started thinking, wait, hold on. What about the people in your workplaces that don't follow Jesus? You know, they might not necessarily be uh, on hard drugs or involved in serious crime, but we tend to think that one group of people need the gospel more than another group. Why do we think that certain people don't need saving? Aren't the people in your workplaces sinners that are broken too? Were they not knitted by God in their mother's womb? Does not God love them? So shouldn't we love them too by sharing God's truth with them? You know, because regardless of whether you're a functioning member of society or if you're out there involved in serious crime, there's only Two ways that God views us on the final day, forgiven or unforgiven. You know, the church as one body all around the world, we've, we have to be on mission. You know, when we think in the context of uh, Tungabi Baptist Church, we must collectively be on mission, but also individually as we go about our week. Which brings me to a phrase that I like to use, uh, the modern day missionary You know, I'm not talking about overseas missionaries that give up their life and relocate for the purpose of sharing the gospel. I'm not talking about uh, people that are in full-time paid ministry roles like our pastors. I'm talking about the tradies that get up early uh, and head out to job sites. You know, the office workers that work in a corporate environment. The shift workers, our cops, nurses, doctors, our social workers, entrepreneurs, teachers, cafes, cafe owners... Uh, lawyers, politicians, retail workers, receptionists, salespeople, childcare workers, pretty much if you're a follower of Jesus and you've got a job, I'm talking about you. Go and do your work 
as well as you can in a way that pleases God and contributes to society. But know that your work goes beyond that because you are the one in your workplace who knows the truth of God. So as you travel to work, pray that you will have a missionary mindset. Build your relationships and love people enough to share the truth of God to them and with them. If you're a follower of Jesus and you go to school, TAFE or uni um, and are a student alongside other students, um, you are the one who knows the truth of God on your campuses. So as you walk through the gates, pray that you will have a missionary mindset and love people enough to share the gospel with them. If you're a follower of Jesus and and you're retired or you're part of a a particular social uh, circle, like a local sports team alongside other people, build your relationships and love other people enough to share the truth of God with them. Every follower of God, every follower of Jesus is a missionary, wherever they go. Imagine if everyone here went out this week and sometime throughout the week they shared about Jesus. And we were all on the same page about mission. Imagine if that's how we lived week by week. You know, as we close off this series in Luke, I want to remind you that Jesus' birth was prophesied about hundreds of years before it happened. This was fulfilled. Jesus' death was prophesied about. That was fulfilled. Jesus' resurrection was prophesied about. That was fulfilled. Jesus' return is prophesied about, and at this moment in history, it is currently unfulfilled. Pay attention to Scripture. You know, we are living in the time period um, between the resurrection of Jesus and the return of Jesus. There is a purpose for you and I living in this specific time period. It is right here in the text. Jesus is telling us to be on mission. Why? Because He is going to grow His kingdom. And he is going to use some of us here, and I hope all of us here. What part are you going to play in Jesus' mission of the proclamation of the gospel and preaching repentance for the forgiveness of sins to all nations? Because this is how God is going to grow his kingdom, through the proclamation of the gospel. We must tell everyone about the truth of God. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Well, as a disciple, I've actually, I've got a duty towards you. A duty filled by love and even by urgency. A duty that others love me enough to share with me. You know, God created this world. You know, God created us, humans, to live in this world. And even to rule this world under His authority. However, we reject God as ruler and we decide to rule our own world, attempting to be God and falling way short of God's standard. However, it's impossible to stand over God and God doesn't let humanity dictate their terms to Him. He won't let humanity rebel against Him forever because God is a God of justice, meaning that He doesn't turn a blind eye to sin. Because that would, if he turned a blind eye to sin, that would make him unjust. God punishes sin. 
And the punishment for sin is death and judgment. And judgment, and after judgment is hell, eternally separated from God. This is the reality of every human, unless you're forgiven. You see, in the midst of our rebellion against God, God still loves us. And because He loves us, He sends His one and only Son, Jesus, uh, down to earth so that Jesus can die in our place. That's why we celebrate Jesus' death on the cross on Good Friday. But then comes Easter Sunday. Jesus rises from the dead, showing that death has no power over Him. And God goes to these extremes so that we can be forgiven for our sin and have no debt owing against God and back in relationship with Him and eternity and an eternity in paradise with Him. But only by accepting Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for the forgiveness of your sin and believing in, the, in His resurrection from the dead, if you accept and believe, you too will be forgiven. This is the love of God. This is the gospel. I hope you accept this truth. And if you have for the first time today, let's chat after church. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for taking the punishment of sin for us. May you give us the boldness and courage to share the gospel this week, next week, and every week after that, until either you return or you call us home and take us to paradise. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.